They've got the old and slow field, which is the one I always go to, or they have the young and spry field. Simon, the English guy who runs kind of the adult program was like, hey, mate, I need you over here. I don't know. Maybe. Was that an Australian accent? I don't know. <laughs> and I play for about 95 out of 100 minutes. I don't know if I've ever been so sore in my entire life. Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and this is our May Q&A solo episode. So first and foremost, hope you're having a great day. Uh, as you can tell, maybe if you're watching the videos, I am trying something totally new here. I signed up with Riverside and basically trying to figure out how to bring some video to this normally audio podcast. So it's been an interesting transition, things that normally I wouldn't give any thought to, like what I'm wearing, uh, my <laughs> appearance or facial freshness, things that normally would not be on my radar at all when recording a solo episode now are. So hope you enjoy these. Uh, part of the reason I moved to the video format or adding a video element to this is, well, really twofold. Number one, I want to get more people engaged with the show. So trying to create more social media elements, whether it's on YouTube, whether it's on Instagram. So having the ability to create those short reels or those short snippets and then funneling people back to the main show is number one. Second, man, I've got some really sharp people on here. And sometimes, you know, they're talking with their hands or they want to demo stuff. So I'm thinking about the episode I did with Courtney Connolly, where she's talking about foot and gait. I'm thinking about the episode I did with Stuart McGill, and he's talking about assessment, and he's got like his little spine model. Like there are certain segments of the show where the, the video really helps take things to the next level. So that's why I'm giving this a shot. I would love your feedback, just trying to figure all this out and really just trying to continue to level up the podcast as a whole, man. You know, we're, I think, 380 some episodes in now, which is crazy to think about. But really just trying to continue to make it better, to evolve it, and to help you ultimately get better results with the people you're working with. So hope you enjoy it. Uh, I'm going to give you a quick recap of what's going on in my neck of the woods because I feel like it's been a little while since I did that. But man, so so much going on. Uh, starting with my children, kids are doing great. Really, everybody here is ready for school to be done. I feel like they've been testing for like a month straight, but killing it in sports. Kendall's doing amazing in soccer. Bang handful of goals this year. She's playing really well. Uh, you know, just overall, the improvement in her skill level over the past couple of months has really been profound. So cool to watch her grow and evolve. Kate is doing great in baseball, unfortunately, with the outdoor sports. Not always uh, cooperative this time of year with regards to the weather. So they've been struggling to get games in. But, you know, the games he has had, that was starting to come around in the last game. He's getting to pitch, which is pretty cool. Uh, no preconceived notions. He's going to be the next Max Scherzer. But if he is, luckily, I know a guy named Eric Cressy who might be able to train him and help him throw a little bit harder and stay healthy. So kids are great. Big changes at iFast. I haven't talked about it too much here, but just big changes, period. Uh, the soccer group that we moved in with last November has since moved out. And so, you know, they were there for like a year and a half. Sorry, they left in November. And now we're getting ready to have a basketball group come in and really obviously excited about that. You know how much time I spend in the basketball space and how passionate I am about help, helping basketball players. So very excited about this opportunity. We're going to basically move our space further back in the building. But man, there's a lot that goes into that because they're currently demoing. They've got a huge tarp up to keep 
you know, the drywall dust and everything out. So there's just a lot going on, period, at the gym right now. On top of the fact that, man, it's like basketball offseason. So all my basketball guys are coming back. They're trying to get in shape. The hours are way up. You know, yesterday I think was probably the longest coaching hour I've done in, in an a really, really long time. I started at nine. I don't think I finished up till 5.30, 5.45. Had a little break for lunch, but man, it's been really cool because we have everybody represented in that time frame. I mean, we got high school kids, college kids. We've got overseas players. We've got NBA players. So really excited about the summer and excited about helping a lot of these athletes really develop and take their game to the next level. So all kinds of good stuff going on, but man, I'm not going to sit here and prattle on for hours and hours. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to jump into what I believe is going to be a really awesome Q&A episode. Did you know that in any given year, 40% of the trainers and coaches in our industry will leave our industry? Maybe that's why it seems like almost every day I talk to trainers and coaches who are frustrated. Maybe they're frustrated with the results they're getting. Maybe they're frustrated because they don't have trusted resources to learn from. And maybe they're frustrated because they simply don't have enough clients and wonder how long they'll be able to stay in the industry. So if this sounds anything like you, let me tell you how I can help. My Complete Coach Certification was created for trainers and coaches just like you. People who are serious about the results they get and know that becoming a better coach can directly translate to a bigger bottom line. This certification is going to take the last 20 plus years of my life's work and put it all into one massive course. In the cert, you'll learn how to use my R7 system to create seamless, integrated, and efficient programs for clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. You'll learn the exact progressions, regressions, and coaching cues I use in the gym to help your clients squat, hinge, press, and pull with awesome technique. You'll learn my streamlined assessment process that will help you determine the exact movements your clients should be performing when they come in the gym. And last but not least, you'll learn how to create relationships and build rapport with virtually everyone you train so you can get the best possible results. Of course, there's a lot more that I cover, but that should give you a pretty good idea of what the CERT is all about. Now here's the thing, spots for the CERT only open twice per year for a limited time. but if you join my free insiders list now, you'll be able to save $200 when my next group opens. To get on the insiders list, just head over to completecoachcertification.com. Again, that's completecoachcertification.com. And then stay tuned for our launch emails very soon. Thank you so much for your support. And I hope you'll join us when the next Complete Coach Certification launches. Okay, we are back and let's talk about questions that you have. I love these episodes. I don't know about you. Uh, I tend to, you know, go back and look at the responses and look at the downloads and all that. And it seems like these are actually really well received. So I appreciate all of you that are sending me questions. If you got questions and you're nervous or scared or anxious, don't be. Please send them my way. I'm happy to answer them. And you're going to see we have a wide range of questions this month. So all kinds of good stuff to talk about. Let's dive in. So we're going to start with Nick. And Nick is from the Complete Coach Cert Group. And Nick wants to know, what's your process for planning or outlining your continuing education? How far do you plan? 
And how do you go about choosing topics to go deeper on? So Nick, again, fantastic question. And I'm going to kind of attack this in multiple fronts because you have multiple questions wrapped up into this one. So first and foremost, I like to think about it like this. Just like when you're training athletes, you do a needs analysis. I think you need to do the same thing for yourself when you're creating your continuing education program. So here's what I mean by that. If I go way back to 2002, when I was at Ball State, getting ready to move into the real working world, I basically did a needs analysis on myself. And I thought, you know, okay, what things am I really good at? And what things do I struggle with? What do I need to get better at? And, and I still laugh. You know, I'm sure you, some of you have heard this story before, but, you know, when I rank myself on the topic of strength, like helping an athlete get stronger, I rank myself a nine. <laughs> and I see kind of the folly in that now being in the space 23 years. But again, you know, I was just trying to rank myself one to 10. Where am I at? And I remember the lowest score I gave myself on all those topics, speed, strength, power, conditioning, whatever, rehab was the worst, and it was a two out of 10. So <laughs> needless to say, it was a massive shock to my system when I moved to Fort Wayne, and I'm basically forced to do rehab for three years. So I learned very quickly, okay, this is a weakness, and while it may never be a strength, I need to get really good at this, because the patients, the athletes that I was working with at that point in time were depending on me to create a rehabilitation program to help their back, their knee, or their shoulder feel better. So that's one example, but there's a lot, right? Uh, you know, if I'm going along my career, I'm thinking about conditioning and the K-Dog story. Well, K-Dog or Catherine was one of my favorite athletes of all time. She was there when we first opened the gym, amazing soccer player. And she was one where she had back pain, back issues. We helped her get healthy. But then once we fixed that, her conditioning was a real weakness for her. And she would you know, liken it to the fact like, hey, I'm good for like 15, 20 minutes. I'm going to make a couple runs. But after that, just put me in a corner because I can't run anymore. I'm gassed. And so in an effort to try and help her learn more, I identified like I'm not good at writing conditioning programs. So I sought out Joel Jameson and just absorbed and consumed everything that Joel put out. Another topic was speed because... You, know, you realize, hey, if you work with athletes, it behooves you to be good at speed development and athletes need to be faster. So that's how I sought out at the time, Nick Winkleman and Lee Taft brought them in, did what we called the elite speed seminar at our gym in 2012. But really, that was like the impetus to just dive into everything that Lee had. I bought all of Lee's courses, you know, brought Lee in numerous times over the years, either to the physical prep summit that we were having in Indianapolis or would just go down to his gym and hang out with him. I just consumed everything that I could from Lee. So I think that's the starting point. You have to do a needs analysis. And then the second step here is you got to find your primary mentor. And so if you go back to the needs analysis, I identified, okay, I'm not good at rehab. So I sought out Craig Liebenson or Stu McGill, especially because they were in the back space. If it was speed, I found Lee Taft. If it was conditioning, I found Joel. And then what you need to do is once you've identified that one person who you're going to have mentor you, either directly or indirectly, you just consume everything that they have, right? Follow them on Instagram, YouTube, buy their courses, attend their seminars, whatever you can do to get into this person's ecosystem you need to do. I mean, it's just full immersion. 
And so this is how I attacked each one of these weaknesses. I found that trusted expert and I really honed in on what they were doing. Now, once you've done that and you've spent a lot of time in their ecosystem, you've started to create a filter for yourself. So you got a better understanding as to, okay, what are like the foundational principles to speed, to conditioning, to a rehabilitation program? And then from there, you can start to broaden your scope or you can diversify who you're listening to. So once I started to feel good about speed development with Lee, okay, well, now I want to listen to Boo Shexnader, right? Somebody we had into our course, uh, Derek Hansen. You know, I want to bring these other coaches in that are having success because now I have a filter and I can better understand why they're doing certain things and how they fit into my own model. Because that's the goal over time is not just to adapt Lee's model or Craig Levinson's model. It's to take your model, use other people's information and ideas, and then put it into what works best for you in your situation and your environment. So, you know, that's kind of how I do it. Now, one of the final questions you asked was how long? And I think you can't dive into something for like two weeks. And this is one of the big issues we have nowadays. It's like, there's so many things to learn. It can be so overwhelming. But what you need to do is really take a good chunk of time. Be like if you go in the gym. If you want to get stronger, you can't just do a strength training program for two or three weeks and expect to see big results. Instead, you got to stick with something three, six, 12 months to really see some impactful changes. So that's what I would recommend with your con ed. For myself right now, I've got a couple different areas that I'm focused on. As you'll see, it's very specific to what I'm doing and, and seeing and dealing with with my athletes. So current areas of focus and along with that, some people I'm learning from. One, force plates. Talked about this numerous times on the show, but man, I really want to better understand force plates, get the most out of them, whether we're talking tracking, whether we're talking readiness, whether we're talking about assessments and really trying to figure out why some of these athletes maybe aren't performing at the level that we'd like. So the force plate thing is something I'm very invested in right now, learning from people <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, like Matt Jordan, Alex Natera, Drake, and the Hawk and Dynamics crew. These are people that I've had on the show. I'll put a link in the show notes, but these are people that I'm trying to learn from because I feel like they're trusted experts, they're great resources, and they're helping me get more out of my use of force plates. So that's one. A second one is just tendons. And I know that's very broad, kind of very general, but tendons are a hot topic. But in my space, when I'm working in basketball, I'm telling you, out of every basketball player I've evaluated in recent memory, almost everyone has some sort of tendon-based issue. So, man, if this is something I'm going to see on an everyday basis, it's something that I need to be diving into and learning more about. So as far as tendons, I'm looking at Jared Antflick's work. Again, he's been on the show. Ebony Rio, again, been on the show. You can kind of see how I'm trying to create some overlap here too, right? I learned from these people. And then in my case, what I'm trying to do is learn from them and then bring them on the show. And then I can ask them even more questions or deeper questions or the questions that I have that I just haven't seen answered somewhere else. So you can see I'm kind of killing two birds with one stone here. But man, some of my best episodes are these shows where it's not just the superficial stuff that they've been asked five or 10 times on every other podcast. It's like, okay, we kind of know this. Now talk about this. How do we dig just a little bit deeper? One other area that I'm really fascinated by and using a lot in my training programs these days is flywheel training. So 
I don't know if Exerfly created it or if it's in conjunction with them, but John Cronin actually has a fantastic flywheel course. I mean, from like the really high level, like math and physics, like make your brain explode, stuff that I haven't really thought about in a while. It's got that. And then it's got it down to, hey, look, why would you want to stop short and, and break really hard when you're using a flywheel? When would you want to go through a fuller range of motion? And maybe make those breaks and those stops a little bit more smooth or a little bit more gradual. So, man, that's kind of where I'm at with this. Uh, Nick, I really hope this kind of helps answer your question and gives you some insight as to what I'm doing, but also how you can start to craft and frame your own continuing education so that you get better results. So fantastic question. Moving on, we've got Nate B. And Nate chimed in from Instagram. Nate wants to know, He's got a middle-aged client who's starting to get back into basketball, but is so achy for days thereafter. What tips do I have? So the first thing I would say, Nate, is you really need to try and tease out, are we talking about muscle aches and pains here? Or are we talking about joint aches and pains? Because if this person's having a lot of joint-related issues, that's something I'd be a little bit more wary of and a little bit more cautious of. So I'm going to assume that they're not joint-related things that there's not like this previous history of knee trauma or hip trauma or something like that. And they're just feeling sore and beat up. <laughs> and if we're talking about this, trust me, I can relate. As many of you know, I got back into rec league soccer this past year, played a handful of, of games of pickup over the winter. And man, it was just such an eye-opening experience. And part of it was just to fulfill this, this competitive juice that I always have, I can, I can compete against myself, right? Whether it's in the gym or, you know, trying to write a better article and that, but it's just not the same as going out and competing against somebody. So, you know, kind of did this little ramp up period, played my first week, played like 45 minutes and I was crushed for like two or three days thereafter, a couple weeks off, went back, played again, played like 75 minutes, you know, had some good breaks there, felt pretty good after that. But then the last time I played, it was very odd because a couple things happened. Number one, they have two fields. They've got the old and slow field, which is the one I always go to, or they have the young and spry field. And it just so happens the day that I show up, Simon, the English guy who runs kind of the adult program was like, hey, mate, I need you over here. I don't know. Maybe. Was that an Australian accent? I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, he says, you know, I need you over here. I need you on the young and spry field. So I'm like, okay, just make sure you save me once we get some subs. So I go over there and legitimately we have one sub. The guy shows up late, picks up an injury like 10 minutes into him actually playing and then pieces out. So that day I play on the faster field and I play for about 95 out of 100 minutes. And I will tell you, Nate, I don't know if I've ever been so sore in my entire life. I was legitimately sore for the next six days. And so some of my former like soccer players, the college kids I worked with, or some of the MLS players that I worked with were like, dude, you played 95 out of 100 minutes, like we'd be destroyed after that. So it made me feel a little bit better. But circling back to your question, what can we do to address this? And I think one of the big issues I see with these, you know, rec league weekend warrior type programs is they just try and train them like they're regular like gen pop fat loss clients and you can't do that you got to make sure first and foremost that you're accounting for those explo explosive muscle actions and you got to get them prepared to absorb force again 
So much of what we do in the gym is about creating force or creating an output. But when you're going to plant and cut, you're absorbing a tremendous amount of force. And if you're not used to that and those big eccentric breaking forces, you're going to feel beat up, period. So here's some adaptations that I would consider getting into your program that I think will make a big difference. Number one, if you don't already have it in, get explosive work in. It could be jumps. It could be throws. I think upper and lower body power development. And it doesn't have to be like big bang and crazy right off the bat. We're not talking about like a 36 inch box jump. Have them start jumping rope. Have them do band assisted pogo jumps. Have them throw a light medicine ball against a wall and just work on catching and receiving that. So if you don't already have explosive work in, get it in the program. Number two, once you've kind of got a base, I would say you got to get some heavy eccentrics in there. Or if you have it available, get some flywheel training in. Now, for me, this was a huge, huge shift, not only for myself, but for that of my athletes. When we started incorporating more heavy eccentric work, more flywheel training into our programs, yes, they're sore in the gym, but man, when they get out on the field, the court or the pitch, that first time they're not feeling nearly as beat up, not nearly as sore as the rest of their teammates. So you got to develop those heavy eccentrics. You got to get the tissues in the body ready to absorb those forces. Number three, when we're talking about like our speed development or like our movement-based training, you got to get some deceleration work in. And so, again, we talked about Lee Taft earlier, Lee's just such a wealth of knowledge, but if they're not used to like running, jumping, cutting, use the band to help them jump. More importantly, when we're talking about movement training, use that band to help them slow themselves down. So a lot of times we'll have them do like a lunge stop, right? So just think forward lunge, but we'll put a band around their weight. So when they take that step forward, the band stretches, it's helping them slow their momentum down and it's going to help kind of push them back out. So deceleration work is very, very critical. And it's, it's important to not just think of stuff that you would do in the weight room, but think about things you would do to help prepare them for their field or court-based work. And then the last piece I'd say here is targeted isolation work. Talked about this a lot lately, but if you're playing soccer, I'd be targeting the quads and the hamstrings for sure, specifically the hamstrings, because the last thing you want to do is pop a, a hammy your first day out when you start to accelerate. Another one would be groin for the uh, soccer players, because man, you don't realize how sore your groin gets till you hit about 100 balls with your instep in one training session. Uh, if I'm talking about my basketball players, I'm thinking about quads. I'm thinking about their calves and their Achilles. So that targeted isolation work, I think, will help bring up any deficiencies and just kind of help bulletproof that area. Last but not least, I think when people want to start getting back into this stuff, that's great. Understand you're going to be more sore than usual. So you got to start to think like an athlete. You can't continue to train like you normally would. So for me, I had to get away from this. Oh, yeah, I lift three days a week. It's like, no, if I compete on Sunday, Monday is like an active recovery day. Maybe Tuesday is a very light gym session. You have to start more proactively thinking about recovery because you can't just go in the gym and kill it every day. Right. So how would you set up a training program for a soccer player? Well, I'll tell you, you know, after game day, they're either going to get a recovery day or a day off, whatever. The second day after is going to be whatever they didn't get the first day. So if they did recovery day one, maybe they get day two off. Day three, that's probably the day we're back in the gym. Day four, okay, whatever you would normally do. Generally, I'll do a conditioning day. Day five, 
Now we're starting to think about, okay, can we do some explosive work? Can we start to ramp them back up? Day six is prep. Day seven, they're back on the field quarter pitch. So you got to start thinking in this fashion. It can't just be, oh yeah, bang, weights three days a week. Start to think like an athlete. How are you going to schedule your training week? And how are you going to put an emphasis on recovery so that you can go out and perform at a high level whenever you're out there and competing? So Nate, lots of thoughts there. I really hope that helps. Trust me, <laughs> I learned from experience. It was a, a, a big learning experience for me this year, getting back into it. But man, wouldn't change it for the world. I learned a lot. Next, we have Adam. Actually, Adam, give me a second here. You guys can't see on video. Got my dog dad uh, cup here. And I realize <clears throat> red is not the best color for my palette, but man, it's hot. It's hot in here today. It's starting to warm up finally here in Indy. So anyway, Adam, let's talk. Adam from IG wants to know, what are your thoughts on augmented eccentrics? He said, they're very popular now, and he's curious to know what I think. Thanks. So Adam, I know I say this a lot, but this is a really great question. And these hot button topics come up, right? The industry gets caught up in these certain things and they get really focused on them for months, sometimes years at a time, but generally it's like three to six months. It's like, oh yeah, let's talk about augmented eccentrics. Let's talk about tendons, whatever. They'll talk about it for this short period of time and then they'll forget about it. So I would say the starting point when we're talking about any kind of training foci is this. What does their needs analysis tell you? Have you done something that has said very clearly this person needs to improve their eccentric de training development or their eccentric training adaptations? So I'll give you a very practical example. One of the high school kids I'm working with I had Daniel Martinez uh, on a call a while back. He's been helping me with some of my force plate stuff along with like Drake and some of the, the Hawking crew. But Daniel and I literally went into like the back end. I said, here's one of my kids. His goal is to improve his vertical jump. What do you see in his profile that you would attack or that you would focus on? And to make this really practical and, and valuable for me, I didn't just give him the numbers and then expect him to give me an answer. I looked at all the data, said, this is what I see. So I'm getting his feedback. Am I correct in what I'm seeing? And then furthermore, what do you see that I miss? That's the value in having a mentor or a trusted expert is what do they see that you don't? That's the value in that. So in this case, with this young man, he said, look, his braking velocity isn't great, right? His eccentric velocity isn't great. So how can we improve that? So in his case, we are doing some of these augmented eccentrics. We're doing, you know, maybe it's not augmented, but we're doing something in, this, in the form of like a drop squat and catch, right? Where you're really making emphasis on, on dropping quickly and stopping. Then in the augmented eccentrics world, we're using like bands, right? Slingshotting bands over him and then working on having him come down as quickly as possible, stop, and then push back up. Now, with that being said, is there value in this stuff? Sure, especially if somebody needs it. But here's what's more important. Can they put the brakes on? And if you follow Bill Hartman's model and you know about the narrow ISAs or your long, tall, skinny type athletes, a lot of times what you see with these athletes is, man, they can squat, butt to calves are pretty close. But the way I would describe it is they struggle 
to get out of these positions, right? So if they get too deep into a squat, they don't come out. If they get too deep into a cut, they don't come out. So I would think about it like this, Adam. Yes, maybe those augmented eccentrics are valuable, but do they have the braking power necessary to stop themselves and come back out? And again, that's not something I can answer, but I think it's something that needs to be on your radar because I don't think a lot of athletes have that. So with this gentleman in particular, yes, we're making a targeted focus on his eccentric velocity, but we're also teaching him to stop, overcome quickly, and push himself back up. So like anything else, I think there's merit to it, but you got to make sure you're actually saying you've identified a, a specific weakness that this client or athlete has and then applying the right strategy to get them to address it, right? Don't just follow the crowd just because, oh yeah, so-and-so really likes this. No, like figure out what this specific athlete needs. And if that is the correct intervention, then by all means use it. So again, great question, Adam. Thanks for chiming in. Next, we have Johnny B from IG. Johnny wants to talk a little bit more about the reset or R2 part of the R7 model. And he also wants to know, do you just train one side at some times? Thanks. So Johnny, this is a great foundational question. Uh, if you're listening and you're not familiar with the R7 model, it's essentially a program design model that myself, Bill Hartman and Eric Otter created, I don't even know, like 10, 11, 12 years now, uh, with the intent of helping people better understand why we're doing things in our programming. So you know, R1, release, we used to call that soft tissue mobilization. And people would look at our programs with like, like we had like five eyes and they'd say, what is soft tissue mobilization? So our goal was to help people better understand at every step of the way, why they were doing certain things in their programming. And we created a R word to help reflect that. So for instance, R1, release is your soft tissue foam rolling type work. R2 is your reset basically something to improve your body's alignment. We'll get back to it here in a second. R3, readiness, is your warm-up. R4 is your reactive, so that's your speed, power, explosive type training. R5 is resistance, your strength training. R6, resiliency, so your conditioning. And then R7 is recovery, so that's where you're trying to just chill out, relax, and kickstart the recovery process. So when we talk about R2, and you think about where it is in a program, we're trying to reset the body. We're trying to optimize biomechanical position. So this is something that really resonates with a lot of our clients and athletes because a lot of them are dealing with some sort of ache, pain, or boo-boo. They know they're not in great alignment, and that's probably part of the reason why their knee, their hip, their back, their shoulder hurts. So I think this is a really big emphasis here, Johnny. We're trying to reset and optimize their biomechanical alignment before we go in the gym and we start to train it. Now, as the second part of your question goes, if someone has an asymmetry, then absolutely, we'll just train one side of the body. So for instance, there are some people that struggle to shift back into their left hip. So maybe we're gonna do something in right side lying where we're kind of shifting that left leg back, you know, trying to create some space on the back of the left hip to shift back into. So yes, in that case, maybe we do something just on the left side. Uh, on the flip side, maybe somebody struggles to push off their right leg. So maybe we're going to do something where we're trying to teach them to reach long through their right leg, through their right arch, trying to teach them to push 
through the ground or through the wall to push them back to their left side. So again, this comes down to your needs analysis. I think we've said this like four or five times in this episode, but it's really important. What have you identified in the assessment process that helps you understand what this client or athlete needs to be successful? So we will absolutely do that. And one thing you didn't ask, Johnny, but a lot of people have questions about is what can go in here, right? And there's so many ideas or so many activities. I'm not really like focused on you have to do this, you have to do that. Sometimes your reset is a targeted breathing activity. And that's what most people think of, right? You're in like a certain position, you know, you're, you're maybe repositioning your body in a certain way, trying to create a space, breathe into it. So it could be targeted breathing activities. For some people, it could be more dynamic. Maybe it's like a rock and roll or something like that, where you're just rolling back and forth, creating a space on the backside of the body that helps your client or athlete shift backward. Maybe it's a crawling movement or a crawling type pattern. The fact of the matter is, I don't care what you choose as your reset, as long as it gives you the desired outcome. Uh, And then last but not least here, I will drop a video in the show notes of Bill. It's actually, I think, an iFastU call where he's coaching a member through a cross connect. And cross connect is one of our favorite resets. We use it literally every day at iFast. It's actually one of my resets that I have to do because I struggle to feel my right foot. I struggle to kind of turn back to my left. So I will drop that in the show notes. So you can see Bill kind of actually coach somebody through one of these activities. But that's why we use resets. We're using it to optimize biomechanical position. And if somebody has an asymmetry that we've identified in their uh, in their evaluation or in their first session, then we're absolutely going to focus on one side versus the other with their resets. So great question, Johnny, and I hope that helps. Next, this is a big one. This is Jan. I believe it's Jan. Jan, I always mess your name up. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but Jan from the Complete Coach Cert Group wants to know, Mike, I would like to know how you can determine if you have anterior or posterior compression in the pelvis and how it shows in your assessment of the straight leg raise, supine knee flexion, IR and ER during supine hip flexion. Or, or this is important because this is more where I'm going to take this. What are you looking for during assessing the split squat? What is normal in the loading and propulsion phase of the movement? I have a hard time understanding this. So Jan, first off, this is more of a Bill Hartman question. Because if I'm being honest, do I use table assessments? Yes, but to a very small degree. And as trainers, as coaches, we're just not as familiar with table tests as physical therapists or athletic trainers are. So I'm going to take a stab at this. But if you really want to dive into the weeds as to what you're seeing with, you know, like straight leg raise and posterior lower compression those sorts of things, then I would defer to Bill on those just because that is his world and that's what he does every single day. So here is the first rule of assessments. And I know I talk about this in the cert, but very, very important. The first rule of assessments is that you can't move into compression. So imagine this, imagine wherever you're sitting, sit up as tall as you can. And I want you to like basically arch your back and pin your shoulder blades back together, right? So if I close off the backside of my body, I lose my ability to rotate my trunk. I physically can't do it. So that is the first rule. And if you understand this rule, it makes everything so much easier. You can't move into compression. So just always know that and respect that fact. So 
Now let's take our supine. So if somebody is laying on their back on a treatment table or massage table, whatever, and we're looking at their internal rotation or their external rotation, the front side of the body is reflective of internal rotation and the back side of the body is reflective of external rotation. So if I've got somebody on their back and I'm checking their internal rotation, they should have about 40 degrees. If they have limited IR, they have anterior compression. Okay, so if they don't have IR, they have anterior compression because anterior is reflective of internal rotation. Now, on the flip side of that, if somebody has posterior compression, they are going to have limited external rotation, right? Furthermore, if they have a big anterior orientation, they're going to have limited ER. Okay, so this is where you have to understand all of the table tests and how they fit together because. This was really mind-blowing for me. When Bill started doing all this, uh, one of my athletes in particular has this massive anterior orientation of his pelvis. So this is, I don't even know, six, seven years ago now. And so Bill lies, lays him on the table, and I know he's got this huge anterior orientation, right? Like anybody can see this. So he's laying on his back, and you know, Bill starts checking his IR. I'm like, dude, this guy has amazing IR. He's got like 40 degrees. And Bill's like, uh-uh. No, he doesn't. That's orientation. So if I orient the pelvis forward, it's going to look like you have IR, right? But it's fake IR. So this is something you have to consider, right? Do they have real authentic IR with relative motions or is it just orientation? And that's where, hey, maybe they do have that, that fake IR because of their orientation. But then you're going to know when you check their ER because of the anterior orientation, they're not going to have external rotation on the back end. Okay, so this is where you have to kind of check and understand all of these tests and see how they fit together. You can't look at one measure in isolation. Now, let's talk about a split squat, Jan, because I think this is more, more where we as trainers and coaches should focus our time and efforts. And this is something I talk about, whether it's in the CERT, in my seminars, in my articles. I try and impress this upon people all the time. You got to have a model first. You got to have a model for what a split squat should look like. So for me, in my split squat, if I'm just trying to check the box of can somebody split squat effectively, I want them to stay tall and in the bottom have this relative 90-90 type position. So on the back leg or on the trailing leg side, in a perfect world, they would have their knee, their hip, and their shoulder in line and perpendicular to the ground. Okay, so I want their knee, their hip, and their shoulder stacked. If they have to do anything funky, right? Like if they have to dump their pelvis forward, uh, if they drive their pelvis really far forward and their shoulders and their knees are back. If they do any of those things on that back leg, I know they're generally lacking some internal rotation, okay? On the front leg side, I'm looking for that 90 degree angle as well, right? But a 90 degree angle with some other caveats. So I want their torso tall, I want that 90 degree angle through the front leg. I want the knee over the toe with a tripod foot, right? And that's a whole nother topic. I'll try and drop this old video that I have uh, from the YouTubes in the show notes for that. But tripod foot's important. I need a heel contact and then balanced weight distribution between the heel, the fifth met head, and the first met head, okay? So I need that tripod foot, but here's the thing. I need heel heaviness. Okay, I want weight distributed evenly, but they've got to maintain contact with their heel because a lot of athletes, their heel will be down. But if you watch their foot, they're really shifting everything forward. 
right? They're really trying to shift the weight towards the front of their foot or towards their midfoot. And then again, torso tall. Now, once you have that model, now you can start to move around. So if I'm looking at somebody from the side, they got to check those boxes relatively well first before I even bother moving to the front and back. And I got a new intern and I got Sandy in this week. So we were just talking about this yesterday. We were working with a new athlete and, you know, she's really active in coaching, which I love. But this guy hadn't mastered that side view, hadn't mastered the imaginary sagittal plane yet. So until he did that, I was less worried about how he looked from the front or back because I knew until he cleaned up that sagittal plane view, he wasn't going to move the way that I wanted. So Jan, to kind of bring this full circle here, I want you to think about this. I don't worry as much about the table test because I'm not a physical therapist. I'm not an AT. I'm going to use them to get some idea and some understanding as to how they're going to move or how they might cheat or compensate. But the table test is not the be all end all for me. At the end of the day, I'm a strength coach. I'm a personal trainer, physical prep coach, whatever you want to call yourself. So I care way more about how they squat, how they lunge, how they push up, and then helping them improve that by choosing the right activities and cueing them appropriately. So it's not to say that stuff isn't valuable. I'm always trying to learn a little bit more about that, dive deeper into Bill's world, but don't get so caught up in that that you forget that our goal is to help your clients and athletes move more effectively. So Jan, I hope that answers your question. Again, for some of the deeper level table tests, I'd really defer or refer you in this case to Bill because he's so good at that stuff. Um, but don't get so caught up in the weeds that you forget. Our goal is to help people move and feel better. Okay, last but not least, we've got a lightning round. So three, in this case, fairly short questions, but things I think you will either find valuable and or entertaining. So Sean C. from Twitter, I think this is our only Twitter question, wants to know, is the overhead press optional? And when does the next complete coach cert open? So Sean, great question. Keep in mind, unless you're training a power lifter, an Olympic lifter, or a strongman, every lift is optional. If you train gin pop clients, if you train athletes, unless they are in a strength-focused sport where they have to do a specific lift to succeed, no activity in the gym is a prerequisite. There is nothing they have to do. And I think this is something that we all need to get through our heads as trainers, as coaches. If you train a basketball player, a soccer ball, a soccer ball, <laughs> a basketball player, a soccer player, a baseball player, nothing that they do in the gym has to be defined by a specific lift. If you choose that lift to help fit a specific need, that's great, but you don't have to do anything. So just keep that in mind because I think that's very, very important. Second, September. If you're not in the cert and you want to get better as a trainer or coach, September, go to the insiders list, completecoachcertification.com, get on that insiders list, save yourself $200. So Sean, thank you for that. Second, this question comes from Emotion Fitness. Uh, I believe this was on IG as well. And Emotion Fitness wanted to know, do you have a business system for nutrition coaching? So yeah, this is a, a, always an interesting one. My wife's a dietitian, so I'm a little bit more uh, reserved about how I approach nutrition coaching and counseling, like big picture stuff, right? Like if somebody's eating soup and salad every day, I can tell them, hey, you know, you're an athlete. Maybe you need to get some protein in your diet, some complex carbs, make sure you're getting some healthy fats in there. Uh, you know, if somebody has a specific medical 
face condition, uh, if they have eating disorders, those sorts of things, be ready to re refer out. Um, but I would say the best resource for this, and it's not available to the public yet. So if you're interested, email Pat Rigsby. I'll put his his email in the show notes because he texted it to me and I already forget what it is. <laughs> but Pat and Mike Roussel are partnering on a new project called Nutrition OS. And the best part about Nutrition OS is it's not just the nutritional system to employ with your clients or with your athletes, but it's the business side of it as well. Because I feel like that's where a lot of these programs fall short. Maybe you know the X's and O's of nutrition, but you have no idea how to sell it, how to market it, how to use it effectively in your business. And Nutrition OS covers both of those. So I'll put Pat's email in the show notes. If you're interested, email him, tell him you heard about this through the, com the complete coach cert. Wow. Tell him you heard about it from myself and the physical prep podcast, and he will get you squared away. It's uh, kind of an internal based launch now. Uh, but if you're interested, he said he would be willing to take you on board and help you get started. Last but not least, super excited about this one. My guy, Steve Calarco, one of my favorite human beings. Steve wants to know, what are my top three hip hop albums of all time? And what do you train to? Now, I'm going to give you a caveat here. Do I think these are the top three hip hop albums of all time? Probably not. Uh, but they are very good albums. And they are three albums that I listened to religiously when I was growing up. The first was Enter the Wu-Tang, 36 Chambers. Man, this was just such a unique album. Totally different sound, like eight or 10 different dudes rapping. You're like trying to figure out who is this guy? Who is this guy? Uh, incredible beats. Like nobody had beats like them. Totally unique in that sense. While everybody else is just sampling and just, you know, taking other people's beats and then rapping over them. No, Rizzo was like creating real authentic beats. Uh, in fact, I loved Wu-Tang so much I had an entire spread from them. I think it was the Source Magazine. Bought the Source Magazine and my senior year, I had a shrine literally in my locker at school of all the different Wu-Tang members. So huge Wu-Tang fan. And I guarantee I was the only 17 or 18 year old driving a hay baler while listening to Wu-Tang 36 Chambers on my little Discman, right? And if you're old enough to know what a Discman is, props because we're, we're great minds think alike, right? We're from the same era, but Enter the Wu-Tang was a huge one. The next two, uh, my sophomore year of college, I lived with two buddies, Wes and Dave, and we lived in a fraternity house. So think what you will of me for being in a fraternity. I enjoyed it. It was a great experience for me, but we were the lowest members on the totem pole in the house, which means we got put in the worst room. The, the room was called the barn. So imagine a back room where your beds are and then a front room where basically the parties are, right? So if you don't have like an official registered party, but people are coming to hang out and enjoy themselves, that was our front room. And so like the year before, I believe both Biggie and Tupac dropped double discs. Biggie dropped Ready to Die. Sorry, was that Ready to Die? Yeah, I think it was Ready to Die. Anyway, the double disc just killer. Like literally the kids today talk about no skips, no skips, right? It's literally just great song, great song, great song. Some are party songs, some are more chill vibes, but man, just amazing album and amazing flows. On the flip side of that, Tupac, All Eyes on Me, just killer. 
killer. So much emotion, so much grit, the things that he had been through in his life, the way he looked at the world. So those were my top three. And again, maybe not the top three albums of all time, but man, they were bangers. They were bangers. And then the second part of the question is, what do I train to? I train to hip hop. You know, if that's what's going on in the gym, a lot of times I'll just kind of rock with whatever is going on. I like to train to hip hop. Uh, you know, sometimes if it's cardio, it's like legitimately on Spotify, like cardio radio or like techno house music, that sort of thing. Something to just keep the energy up, keep me moving. Uh, but back in the day when I was powerlifting, it was generally something heavier, right? And I know heavy is uh, kind of a nebulous term. Some people's <laughs> perception of heavy is probably way harder hard, more hardcore than mine. But man, I listen to Metallica, ACDC, Pantera, Rob Zombie, you know, anything just heavy, loud, good guitars, good percussion, anything that I could just, you know, that I'd want to go and like smash my forehead against a barbell <laughs> and then lift really heavy weights to was what I trained to back in the day. So man, Steve, thanks for letting me relive, uh, relive memory lane there. And I would love to hear what you guys train to drop me an email, drop me a note, IG, Twitter, wherever you uh, are following me or kind of interacting with me. Let me know what you train to because I always love to learn more about people and what you guys are into. So man, that does it for this week's episode of the Physical Prep Podcast. Love these Q&A shows. I hope you got something out of this. If you did, I got one small favor to ask. Wherever you consume podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, the Amazon store, Go there right now, hit the subscribe button, follow button, whatever they're calling it these days, so you know each and every week when a new episode drops. Because look, man, I'm only trying to make this show better, trying to level it up in every way possible. Better questions, better guests, more content, right? More consumable stuff, whether it's IG, YouTube, wherever you're going to, to listen to it. Man, I'm just trying to make the show better, and I appreciate people like you listening in. So my friend, as always, thank you for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back next week with our next episode. Take care.